Welcome to the I Am Adamant podcast, where we are wanting to find truth in a universe of opinions. I'm Lisa Bevere, and I just have to tell you today, I am joined by the Havla Cunnington. I love her so much. She is my adopted mob mom, sister, almost daughter, but I'm not quite old enough to birth her. Anyway, Havla is amazing. I absolutely love her. She has been in the full-time ministry for 20 years. Her and her husband, Ben, lead a nonprofit online platform called Truth to Table, and you need to check it out. It is so relevant, so strong, so powerful. They reach into actually the world. It's a global reach with studies, messages, lifestyle, leadership tools. And I did already kind of hint to this. She is a mob mom. She is the mother of four boys. And so I love that about her. Her boys have cool names, Judah, Hudson, Grayson, and Beckham. And she just, she's written a lot of studies and some small books, but she just released her very first book called Stronger Than the Struggle. And I'm going to tell you what, it is touching lives all over. It's been out long enough that now she is getting the feedback. She's getting the praise reports. And so anyway, I wanted to connect with you, Ms. Havla. I know, I I'm honored. Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> we're both here without makeup on, but y'all can't see that because you don't ever see the video one. But this is real love. Face this face. is real love when you see each other like this. This yeah. is like the second level of friendship. This yep. is like you see my soul on my face. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's such an honor. Yeah, it's a little bit of eyelashes. I, yeah. on the other hand, look like a Rastafarian mermaid because my hair frizzes out in humidity, and that is where I am right now. So <laughs> it's such an honor to be with you. I call you my Italian godmother. I, I take it. We are Italian as well. And I feel like you came into my life right at the time when I needed. Uh, a spiritual mother in my life that would help me. And, and then you had four boys and you're gorgeous. And I thought she made it. <laughs> so you were like <laughs> hope as well. Cause I have four young, young boys and you have four <laughs> men. And so I was like, wow, she made it. She's gorgeous. This is, we did it. And <laughs> so the so person sweet. that when I feel like I'm not going to make it, I think Lisa made it. <laughs> so yeah. Lisa's alive. Her children alive. are alive. My favorite part is when they told you, well, mom, you need to work out more. Like that's how oh. you can't make this because you're not working out enough. That, that's, that's, a, I, they still say that I, I, it doesn't, I don't know that I'll ever have reached a physical, a physical prowess where they'll say that's enough. They're, I mean, like if they sit on me, it hurts me. It's because I don't work out. If I can't open a jar, it's because I don't work out. If I am sick, it's because I don't work out. If I, I don't know. I mean, everything is because I don't work out. It's, if you don't work out. <laughs> if I worked out, uh, everything would be correct in my life. That's basically, that's basically it. So so, Ms. Havila, um, you have been part of the conversation around this book uh, about this whole concept of adamant for a really long time. Um, Havila and I, you may not have figured this out, but we're both verbal processors. So having somebody else to process ideas with that don't just say, uh, that's so stupid. You need to stop right there. Like, help me. Help me know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, you know, you're not a person that is just going with the flow as far as culture. You, you ran something called moral revolution. You, you believe in truth. You've lived truth. So can you just kind of tell us something you're yeah. adamant about? Well, you know, I'll say, I'll first off say I'm really excited about adamant because I, I'll never forget sitting in the parking lot and you called me and, and you started to share this idea of this book. And when you started to share it, I felt a tangible presence of just the Holy Spirit. And I'm not one to be that person who says, God, I feel this and I feel that. 
But I began, I remember feeling like I wanted to cry because the message of Adamant was so pivotal and it really is such a necessary like message for our generation. And really having been close to you enough, watching you live your life, you and John and your sons live the life you do and choose to live in truth. Um, I knew you could write it with authority and conviction and I knew it would cost you, but I knew that if there's anyone who was going to write this type of book, I wanted, I, I believed it was you. And so I am really excited about this book. This is the number one book I'm most excited about that's come out in a long, long time. Cause I just think it's necessary. I know that I'm kind of taking a segue of what you asked me, but no. I just wanted, you know, the listeners to hear that this is such a necessary thing. I have definitely been um, in a, a hot topic movement, which was moral revolution, which really we tackled the idea of healthy sexuality and that it was connected to body, soul, and spirit. And you can't do something with your body that doesn't affect your soul and spirit. You can't get your soul needs met by a physical encounter. It all is connected and it's all holy. It's all meant to be a place where God is strong and is revealed. And so for me that I feel like throughout my life and my journey, I've had adamant things that I've experienced. I think one of the things I was adamant about was that, that Christ is the center of all things. Like that's it. Like Christ made me, created me and my fulfillment and my calling must be found in him and him alone. It can't be a degree. It can't be a bank account. It can't be a marriage. It can't be my physical frame. It has to be, my whole life has to be centered around Christ and the cross. And that I'm adamant about. And I think that everybody needs to get to that place in their life. If you're not adamant about the Christ and the cross, things are going to feel confusing. It's good. You're going to wonder about your worth. You're going to wonder about why you're on the earth. And so that's like pivotal. And then I had to really go into the adamant part that God created me body, soul, and spirit, and that my love life and my physical body and my sexuality was Christ. And I needed to ask, I had to go to him, the creator of the universe to find out why he created me this way. And so I began to be adamant about that and and kind of have ebb and flowed in my adamacy about different things. But I, I would also say I'm pretty adamant about the word of God. I don't think that it will ever return void and it's the life source and the word, uh, you know, Christ became flesh and he did dwell among us, but he's, he's also within the words and there is, it's not just written words, but there is a God between the pages and he's alive and real and communicating to us through the word. So those would be my, my main adamant things I would feel on a daily basis. Well, I, I love that. And I think that's why you and I connect so strongly is because we do have a common a common uh, basis of our life, being the word of God, being the yeah. word of God made flesh, Jesus, believing that there was a blood sacrifice that paid for our sins and not just paid for our sins, but empowered us, graced us to live a transformed life where we can actually be transfigured from who we are to that image of Christ that we're growing and transforming. And, um, so you know, true. I... I know, um, I know that we have a generation right now that is beginning to question the very things that you've talked about, you know, whether the cross really was necessary, whether the word of God really means what it says, says what it means, or was it just this, you know, nice story or poetic writing for a time period that now is past and we've evolved and we're more well-educated and we're more, you know, more, uh, what was it, civilized yeah. than ever. Um, what do you think about that kind of line of thought? Well, I, I don't know necessarily if we're the only generations ever questioned. I, sure. I grew up in a home where 
uh, my parents were hippies and they rebelled against all society had given them. My grandfather was a congressman, a four-term congressman in New York state. And my dad grew up in that environment. My mom was a farm girl um, in Northern California, but they both went searching for love, for real love and connection. Sure. And that was found in drugs and it was found in, or at least looked, looked for um, in those different places. My dad uh, was uh, chanted Hare Krishna and then also was into Buddhism. And when he came to find Christ after being um, a suicidal um, hippie, it walk in, he was actually living in Maui under um, a tree and, and he was carving scrimshaw, which is where you carve pictures into whale's teeth and then you put ink on it and it shows you that. So he was strung out on drugs, living there, and he went out to a. I'm having a such a hard time reconciling your father to all this. Oh, I know, <laughs> I, I, right? It's craziness if you think about it, because what you, what you, this, really the end of the story is that he has this version. <laughs> but he went out into the field and he said, "Krishna, Buddha, Jesus. I don't know which one of you is real, but reveal yourself." And about six months later, he he wandered into a small little church in Timbuktu, California. And there was a hippie, there was a, there was a Jesus movement that was beginning and he prayed his first prayer that night. He said, Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart. And at that moment, the beads that were surrounding his neck began to choke him. And he said, I didn't know what was happening. He said, so I cried out my very first prayer, Jesus. And he reached up and he pulled those beads off his neck and the beads scattered all over this wood floor in this old little church. And the pastor came up and said, what, what happened? He said, well, I prayed, I, I, I used to chant with these beads to Krishna and I prayed, I said, Jesus, I invited him in and all of a sudden I was being choked. And he said, oh, well, you were delivered. You were chanting to demons and those, those beads were choking you. And again, you might go, I don't believe that. Well, it didn't happen to you. It happened to him and it's his story. And yeah. so um, having lived in his home now for over 40 years, I found a, I found that in their walk with Christ, I found a very real evident God. And that thing about absolute truth was very much in front of me from a very young age. And it was because I was a part of a home that were seekers. They were seeking truth and God radically came in and revolutionized their walk. And so I think truth has always been something that's been in front of me, even as a little girl, now being in a, an evangelist home and now raising four boys of my own, I absolutely believe that we have to know the truth because the Bible says the truth will set us free, not knowledge, not, uh, not compassion, not loving everybody for however they want to live, but right. the truth sets us free. And, uh, and often we know this as parents, the truth doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always, isn't the thing that always goes, oh, well, it makes us all feel amazing. But we know that within truth, there is love because love has boundaries. Love says, this is what is good for you. And this is what is not good for you. And that's what true love does. It's not being permissible. It's the part of us that says love, true love is protection. And so mm -hmm. I think in the, in the, all of this, we have to understand. And again, I'm kind of all over in the, in this sense, but God, anytime God says no, he says it because it's a fatherly no. And he only says no to things that don't protect us. It's always about protecting the thing that he created. And so anywhere in the word, anywhere in truth that we feel like there might be a no, it's never to hinder us or hold us back. It's always to protect us and to keep us in a place of perfect love. I, I love your adamant passion for truth. And I think, that's, I think that's why you have an organization called Truth to Table, because you want to see 
it become the norm, the truth at the table. You know, and and Havila, I I love that you brought up that your your father was a searcher, that he looked at all these different places because I do think there's a whole generation saying, well, what is truth? They they don't like how maybe they're seeing things navigated or the, how the church is treating different groups of people or maybe their parents' marriages failed or their pastor fell morally or or whatever it is. And so they're beginning to to question truth and and um you know what what's interesting is everybody is like what's truth what's truth and yet we know truth isn't a what it's a who yeah jesus is the way he is the truth and he is the life and and we have to realize he can't just be one of many truths or even one of many ways or even the best but he has to be everything or he's neither of that and i think that's that's you know people think that's limiting but actually it's freeing when you have boundaries when you know what you can build on and how you can build, then everything shifts. And so I love that, that we can find truth and it's in God's word. And um, I love that you're a student of the word. I love that you grew up in a Christian home and yet you have have passionate pursuit for God's word and his truth in your life. And um, what would you say is one of the key things that you've been able to do, Havla, that have maintained your passion for truth? I think when you you really seek out an authentic walk, I think the moment we get religious or we start slapping band-aids on things and we don't really seek out, you know, oftentimes people will say, well, I don't believe this, or I don't think God did this. And then I'll, I'll ask them, well, where did you, where did you read that? Or where did mm-hmm. you see that in the word? And they'll have no idea. It's just this concept of, well, I just don't think the God that I know would do this. And I have to go, okay, well, there's a lot of things God did in the word that doesn't line up to what you just said about him. Right. And I, I really think it's important that we have to look at, um, I, at least in my own life with being adamant about truth and living, I had to go into having an authentic walk with Christ, not going off of what everybody else was saying or what they were believing or what I assumed God was like, but I had to go in the journey It's like, you can't be a single person and be an expert on marriage. You might have a concept. You might think, well, this is my list of what I would want, or this is how I would treat my spouse. But it's only when you're in the relationship, do you really get to know the other person and know your real true self in the marriage? And I think sometimes with Christianity and and faith-based communities, we often will I, I related to this way. I was a Judds fan back in the day. And the Judds were these, this mother-daughter singing group. I, I, I know. You know I, I, about, I, yes, I do. You have to be a different generation. Naomi. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> yes. So I used to be a Judds fan. And in high school, I would blow dry my hair to it every morning and sing their songs. And so I, when I had our second baby, my, my twin sister and I were pregnant at the same time. So she said, let's go. I got us tickets to the Judds concert. We're going to go see them. And so we've loaded up. We're these pregnant girls sitting there crying through every song because it's country music. So, of course, we're weeping through every song and we're very pregnant. And um, and then, of course, when we're leaving the, the whole arena, I see the Judd's uh, bus. And I'm thinking they're in that bus right now. And oh, my goodness. I mean, I know everything about them. I knew you know who they got married to and where they lived. And, you know, did she date her bodyguard? And I mean, I knew all of that. That's hilarious. The truth is, is that if anybody was to ask them about me, they would know nothing about me. Right. Because right. the sense of knowing a lot about somebody gives us the belief that we know them. And I think it's the same with Christ. We can know a ton about God and we can quote things and we can hang out with people that know them. But unless we have an authentic walk with Christ, we and he knows who we are and we know who he is. And there's a 
relationship that we're investing in, we will have a sense of knowing him, but we will not know him. And I think relationship, we really know someone, then they have access to our heart. They have access to our life. They have an ability to get in and say, Hey, sweetheart, I love you, but that doesn't work for me. Or, Hey, that's not good for you. Or, Hey, that's the way I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. And I think sometimes we don't let our, our life with Christ mature and grow because we fear that he's going to say something that we don't want to hear or something's going to happen. We're going to be trapped. And the truth is love doesn't trap us. Love actually creates in us a desire to want to change, to want to grow, to say, I don't know everything, but I, I don't want to be far away from you. I'd rather learn about, I, I, I'm going to stay curious in my relationship with you to learn to grow. And I think that's, it's very important. Even when we talk to kids about sexuality and purity and the journey of that, we used to get asked the question, well, what's the line? Like, what's the line? Oh, always, it, always. It, how far is too far? Right, how far yes. is too far? And, you know, in the word, the Bible says, well, one of them is like, don't look, don't go to bed with your neighbor's wife. And then the other part Jesus said was like, don't, don't look at a look. woman with lust. And you're like, well, there's a lot in between all of that. I know that because I've had four children <laughs> yes. between all that. And, and why would God not do that? I mean, if you read Leviticus, he had no problem laying out every. Yeah, there was a lot of specific. There was a lot of elements. So why would God leave certain space in the word, but then take time in other areas and outline every single thing? And I think it's very important to realize that God is after relationship. He wants us, he'll give us the truth, but he'll also give us space in the middle of that truth to say, this is truth. But if I just give you line by line, by line, by line, you will worship the, the line by line. You'll worship the formula more than you worship the God that gave it to you. So I'm going to give you the truth and it might even offend your heart, offend your mind, but it will reveal your heart and your heart is what I'm after. And so I'm going to say some things that are hard to hear. But when I say it, it's not because I don't love you. And it's not because I'm trying to confuse you. I'm going to say it so that we'll go on a journey together to reveal why I said it and why it's necessary. And so that's very important, I think, in our lives. You know, I, I, as you were talking, I couldn't help but think about the rich young ruler. It says that Jesus yeah. looked at him and loved him. And I think a lot of times we think if somebody looks at us and loves us, they'll never tell us one thing we lack they'll, they'll, they'll just say, Oh, you're great. It's all good. You're, you know, I, I love you. I love you. But it said, Jesus looked at him, loved him, and then told him you lack this one thing, which happened to be everything. Give every, give, uh, give away, sell all you have, give the money to the poor and follow me. And it was interesting is he went away sad, but he didn't approach Jesus as Lord. He approached him as good, great teacher. And I think a lot of times, if we think of Jesus as good teacher, then we think, yeah, there's other good teachers. There's other options. There's yeah. other, there's other, you know, there's other people that I can give input into my life. But if I love Jesus and I make him the Lord of my life, then it doesn't matter what everybody else that's a good so teacher true. does. I have a God teacher and he's, he's the one who's going to speak to me in a way where he's going to locate those things in my life, those idols, those wounded places, those things that need to have the truth put in into them. And so I love that you unpack that because truth does speak in love. It speaks, it speaks to those it loves yes. and, and it speaks lovingly. It's not loving to tell people a lie. It's not. And what's interesting is Jesus didn't run after him, but we do that. But we, but do, we that. do that because we don't, we think that true love is making sure that everyone's happy with us. 
And, and here's the he thing. Said, no problem with him not being happy with him. Absolutely. And, and he said he went away sad. And, and, and here, and it, my husband, that's like his favorite thing to <laughs> like to preach on. He's hilarious, but, but he, it, it's a truthful thing. Now it's not just that we didn't go after him. Those are the converts we have in our church. So as soon as we're asked the questions, we don't want to be asked. As yep. soon as we're told the truth, we don't want to hear, yep. then, then we, we get offended and we go away sad. And so I think right now we have a generation that has believed the lie that truth is fluid, has believed the lie that Jesus is their best friend yep. and he wants them happy at all expenses. Not that yep. he wants them whole, not that he wants them healthy, but yep. that he wants them happy and that they know their heart better than he knows their, you know, I, I mean, I know Havila with, for me, um, when, when John and I were dating, um, well, we kind of weren't dating because it was just an awkward Christian time period. <laughs> I don't know what you did. You claimed by each other by faith and yeah, it was just a weird, weird time period. So I had my boyfriend over here in the world that I knew was possibly demon possessed, and like I don't think I'd ever even kissed him. And then I had John, and and I remember thinking this guy in the world is way nicer than John, who's like claimed me by faith. And I don't know like where I'm supposed to go with this. I've been saved for like a year, not even that. I, and I'm like, Jesus. And I remember I had this moment in my um, little efficiency apartment where I was sleeping on the floor, didn't even have a mattress. And I said, you know what, God, you know what I need more than I know what I need. I have chosen the wrong things for the wrong reasons for a really long time in my life. And I'm going to trust you. Yeah. And I think that we have to believe that when we do know the truth, it will make us free. Yeah. Not, I want my truth to be the truth. You know, we have to be honest with ourselves. We are, we're the hardest people to hear God for because we have motives and we're short-sighted. Yeah. And we have no ability to see you would pick the person to date is the person that felt good, right? I want to have this person or looks good. Yeah. Or looks good. Right. Versus God saying, I actually know your future and it is about trust. And this is the thing is I think this fatherless generation and motherless generation, we don't have this connection with the authority that says, Hey, mom and dad really know. And they, they, they know they've been on the earth longer. They know it's right. good for me. And right. there's this rebellious side because we've actually been hurt by a lot of leaders and people in our lives. We assume that all authority must have a negative uh, intention towards us or a limited intention. And God, God is a good father. He's out, he's out for our best, but he also uh, is a loving, he knows what's going to be good for us. What's going to be bad for us. He sees our future. And there's a, a part of, I think the, the surrender in the truth that he gives us that we go, I don't know what's best for me, but you do. I don't know where this is going to lead, but you do. And this is, and I love the, the thought, God doesn't invite us into plurality. He invites us into partnership. He is Lord. He's the Lordship of our life. And we are under his authority. This is not a plural Wait, moment. That scares people what you just said. I, I, under authority. It scares yeah. people because they assume in rebellion. Yes. Right. And they assume that there's a negativity to authority, but the truth is authority is to protect us. If we didn't have right. a speed limit, if we just went down the street and anybody could drive anywhere they wanted to drive and at any speed they wanted to, a, a structured authority allows us to be safe. I know I can drive down the road with my four kids and no one's going to cross over that line and let, because, I, and then I can drive in confidence. If I didn't have that, then truth could be anything. That means 
my kids could be subject to whatever you're attracted to. Right. I mean, right. let's be honest. If we start getting in sexuality and all of that, then whatever turns you on is now a possibility for you. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, I mean, you, I, I know we don't want to think that direction, but we've got to think that direction. What does that mean? Does that mean what now, if what we are now honoring is your, what turns you on and what's sexually interesting to you? Well, gosh, I hope that doesn't change. So now it's this, or now it's that. Now we've got to really look at it and go, okay, wait a minute, wait, wait, let's pull back. Let's look at, okay, God, how did you create me? And we can only know how we're created by going to the creator. We can't right. go inside of us. We have to go to somebody who already outlined it. I know I'm not popular for saying that. I'm raising four boys in this generation. That scares the hell out of me in a good way. It scares that part of me that says, I, I don't want any part of me that bows down to fear, anxiety, what people think. I want to bow down to Jesus. I want to bow down to the cross. I want to bow down to the truth that was put before me well before I was on the earth. And there, I, let me just say this. We need to be people of conviction. We need to stop bowing down to what people think and, and think, well, we should be the popular people. No, no, that was never biblical. There was one minute in the Bible where they were saying, Hosanna, and they were laying down you know, palm trees for Jesus. And the next minute they were yelling, give us Barabbas. So this idea that somehow Christians should be somehow the most loved and adored is that's going to come and go. There's going to be moments when we are the most fallen on Instagram. And there's going to be moments when they're going to want nothing to do with us. Our, that Absolutely. has to be a conviction in our hearts that we're going to follow him no matter what the crowd ever says about us. You know, I, I love that you brought up that point. And there's just, you know, there's things that people don't want to, there's scriptures people I don't know if they just don't want to read these scriptures because it's scary. It's, it's, it's scary when you read these scriptures, but these are scriptures that I think we all need to be versed with. I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. It's John 3 and it's verse 19 through 21. I'm going to read it from the Passion. It says, the light of God has now come into the world, but the hearts of people love their darkness more than the light because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. So the wicked hate the light and try to hide from it. For their lives are fully exposed to the light, but those who love the truth. So you have to actually make yourself love the truth will come out into the light and welcome its exposure for the light will reveal that their fruitful works were produced by God. So what we have is a culture that doesn't like exposure. So they've chosen to call darkness light. And, and, And here's the thing. It's not fun. It's not fun to be called out, but it's often very healthy to be called out. And so when we have an encounter with the word of God, we have an encounter with truth, then we have an opportunity to get free. And so, you know, I think that truth is the key. We do have a a generation that is more uh, opinionated than convicted. We have, we have a famine of convictions. Convictions are those things that are unmovable, those adamant things that my life is built on this conviction. This is the stone. These are the foundations. This is the memory stone. These are the things but we have people that are just so opinionated. Um, they air their opinions without any accountability whatsoever on social media. Mm-hmm. And they think because they have presence on social media, they have validation that their opinion yep. is truth. And it's, it's not. And so it's a very, it's a very, I find it to be very sobering. It is. That we're going to give an account for our futile words, our words that are opinionated. and we're also been given this amazing word of God, which is creative and instructive and freeing. And we've just got to make, we've got to make some choices as women that we're not going to be those 
weak-willed, vulnerable women who are already taken captive or go with every new trend, but that we actually know the word of God and are able to rightly divide it and, um, and find find truth. And and you, you reach women all the time, you know, and you and I both are in that sphere and, you know, women are, are facing battles that they have never faced before. And they're, you know, they're at a place where, you know, even with my boys, I'm having to navigate pornography and, you know, uh, you're having to answer questions we thought we'd never have to. I would to never have to answer, yeah. but I'm but I'm I'm not afraid of that. I mean, I think right. we need to be really careful. There's nothing to be afraid of. The, the, the enemy has no power over the right. truth. Right. So we need to be aware that the enemy will try to downplay the truth and seem somehow that we're going to get caught and we're going to be embarrassed, humiliated. But but the truth so will not change, and we don't need to be afraid to tell our kids this is what the Bible says. And we don't need to defend truth. Truth will stand on its own. God doesn't need us to make sure that he's still liked and loved. And no, no, he has no problem holding his own. He's God. He's really good at it. But it's my responsibility to communicate truth, not to justify it or make it look sexy or somehow make it be something it is that I'm afraid people are going to perceive it as. But it's my job to, to honor what God has already said and live in that with joy, with fulfillment, with you know, I, I think it's interesting. I think what you said on social media, I'm seeing a lot of different communicators that are, are out there saying different things. And I think some of it's really grounded in a desire to bridge gaps and to make sure that we are in the world and somehow connecting with other messages. But I, I think it's the danger comes is, you know, God, we saw it with Jesus, the rich young ruler, his compassion didn't override the truth. And I think there's somewhere along the line where we start to feel, um, praised by man and feeling like we are bridging gaps and we're making Jesus known and we're making him look good. And, and Jesus we're making like, Christians look good because we've all making Christians look good. Yeah, exactly. But, but Jesus on the earth, when he walked the earth, that wasn't what he was doing. He wasn't trying to make him look like, Oh, I better make sure I look great so that he, my father in heaven looks great. No, no. He was doing the works of the father right. and he did it up until his death and they still killed him for it. But he knew that truth would last, far outlast the opinion of man, and it would be the thing that would set people free. So he lived in that truth and didn't back down. And I think that honestly, in my own life, I remember this one time, there was a, a girlfriend of mine in high school, and we were a freshman in high school, and she started meeting these guys um, online, and she would go meet these guys, these random guys. This is way before you know we, we had all the kind of dateline you know, to f- catch a predator and all that stuff that now we're aware of. But there was this point where I told my parents, listen, mom and dad, she's meeting these guys. She's going and kissing them. Like, it's not a good thing. I'm, I'm nervous for her. I think she's like in danger. And so we had to go to her parents. And I remember going to her and saying, I need you to tell your parents. And she wouldn't. And so I remember sitting down with her and her mom and dad and my parents and telling her, and she was so mad. She'd never talked to me because she's my best friend in high school. She never talked to me again. Before I got into high school, she spread throughout my entire high school class, 500 freshmen, that I was a snitch and I was a rat and I told on her and I was there to protect her, but it wasn't, and and we never talked to each other. Five years later, I'm at a camp and I get a letter from her and she said this, you were the only true friend I ever had. Wow. She said, you were the one that was willing to tell me truth when nobody did. And she said, I, sadly, I've gone through date rape. I, I had oh, my, my, my story went through a whole gamut. She said, but Havila, you are my only true friend. And she goes, I know it cost you. I know I didn't love you in it. And I know that I blackballed you through your school, but I want you to know you are my only true friend. And I think that is the invitation for our generation yes. is that we would be willing to say the thing. And even if it feels like they reject us 
and ridicule us and our reputation gets, you know, somewhat um, changed because of it. I believe that they'll come back and say, mom and dad, you told me the truth. You know what? You were, you were the only community that told me the truth. Your books told me the truth. And I just, I just have that conviction in my life and more that. and more, but you know, we have to be willing to live in that uncomfortable place of adamacy, right? Which is really what we, what we, I think your book is, is talking about. I, I love that story. And, um, you know, I think everybody listening wants to be a true friend. I mean, yeah. I, and the, the other side of that struggle is, is truth. And, you know, John and I have always said the truth will always outlive a lie. You know, and sometimes if you just live long enough and stand strong enough and just keep declaring the truth, then then it comes out and, and it's there. And, um, you know, Havel, I, I want to thank you. I just feel like you've spoken so strongly and so personally and so profoundly about truth. And I, I believe that God is waking a generation where they're kind of saying, wow, we had no idea that we were going to vary this far, this quick from truth, from conviction, from the word of God, from things that are sacred. And, and now we actually don't know what, what's, what's happened. We don't, we're not sure how we got this far adrift or out to sea. And I, I love that you're part of my community of truth tellers and um, that you will, you will help me if I'm wrong, that you tell me the truth. And I appreciate that about you. And um, so I, I want everybody to be able to connect with you. So I, I know that you've been touched by what Havila said today. So I, I want you to connect with Havila through her website, which is havilacunnington.com. Facebook, you can go to Truth to Table or Mrs. Havila. And this is a <laughs> biblical name, people. So it has an H on the end of it. It's Havila with an H or at Twitter at, at Mrs. Havila or Instagram at Havila Cunnington. And you'll get to see her beautiful family and her amazing husband, Ben, who if I can't get all to Havila, I call and he's always <laughs> yes. patient with me. And, uh, and her dog, Bear, who if, if she keeps him anyway, he's cute, but he's not particularly <laughs> smart. So anyway, we, um, I just love you, Havila. And Havila is part of, you, you really are an integral part of Bethel and yeah. um, minister there, have a very strong prophetic anointing on your life. So I really want to encourage them to get to know you. And so thank you for joining me. And, you know, again, we've been talking about adamant, finding truth in the universe of opinions. And we are not talking about being hard. We're not talking about being harsh. We're talking about being Christ lovers, cross carriers who are movable when it comes to truth so that we can be standard bearers, that we can hold up a banner for people who are saying what is going on to find a place to run and and come under the shelter of the truth and be transformed. So you can actually... Learn more about the book, Adamant, Finding Truth, the Universe Opinions, at IamAdamant.com. Havila, thanks for joining me. You're one and of my favorite humans. I, you too. I want to say thank you for writing a book that is a, I want to thank you for the message of Adamant. I want to thank you for the message that you are to our generation and for being a woman that hasn't bowed down, but has been always willing to say the hard stuff, but also have lived it out. And I just want to thank you for your presence on the earth. I can't imagine the earth without Elisa Bevere. And I can't imagine uh, this book not being in the hands of those that are listening because this book is going to be revolutionary to our generation. I'm, I'm so glad that you wrote this. I think it's just pivotal. And I just want to honor you for that. Oh, thank you, Havila. You're amazing. Well, thank you for joining us. And I love you now. You guys know why I love Havila so much. <laughs> All right, bye. Until next time. Hey, I want you to subscribe because when you subscribe, we can get everything to you right away. We'd also love to see you rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. To learn more about the book, Adamant, 
finding truth in a universe of opinions. Check it out at IamAdamant.com.